The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And today, all show long, we're commemorating the anniversary of September 11th, 2001. Many of us have strong memories of that day in New York, but today we're going to hear the story of Flight 93, the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania after passengers tried to overpower the hijackers. First, you're going to hear from Linda Shepley. Linda is a native of Somerset County, Pennsylvania, and saw the tragic crash of Flight 93. Here's Linda with her story and the events of that day, September 11, 2001. I live on a bicycle road about a quarter of a mile from Stoystown. And my husband was off work that day. We were watching the Today program when we saw the first plane actually hit the World Trade Center. And I was in the process of doing my laundry and hanging them on the line. And I had gone outside and hung out some clothes, and I'd come back in for another load. And we saw on the bottom of the screen the Pentagon, and I thought, well, what's going on here? And then they had grounded all the planes and all the flights. And I had gone out then to hang up the last load of clothes. It was such a beautiful day. I can remember that always. When I went out, it was about 10 o'clock. I was hanging the clothes on the line. I heard this noise, it sounded like a truck going over a bridge. And I looked over my left shoulder, looked up, and I saw this plane, and its wings wobbled in the sky. And I thought, they landed all the planes, and this plane is out there, why didn't it land, you know? And I thought, well, maybe it's trying to find an airport. And why it wobbled, I thought, well, it was having some kind of a mechanical problem. And as I saw it coming over, I could see the engines on the wings, this was a big plane. We live near the Freedens Airport. There's small planes going over all the time, and it was slowly descending down as it was going out towards the horizon. And then all of a sudden, it dipped its right wing and started to turn. 
And I thought, well, Frieden's airport is too small to take that size of a plane. I don't know what it's doing. And just as soon as the wing dipped down, it took a nosedive into the ground. It took me a minute to, to comprehend what, what I had seen. When the plane hit, the fireball came up over the trees, and I was screaming for my husband, Jim, to call 911. He came running out on our side deck, and I said, a big plane crashed. And he said, a small plane. I said, no, 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 it was a big one. It was a big one. I saw the engines, you know, on the wings. And he tried to dial 911, but the line was busy. So he kept trying. I said, keep calling, because the fire whistles were blowing, and I don't know if they knew where to go. And finally he got through. I said to him, I said, uh, where do you think it landed? And he said, maybe Lambertsville. But my son Michael works up there at Rolock, right where the plane went down. And he said, you better call your sister. Uh, she lives in Lambertsville, and see if she saw where the plane went down. So I talked to my sister, and she said, she doesn't know what happened, but she said uh, her windows and her doors rattled in the house from the pressure. It felt like the inside of the house was pulled outside. And she says, I don't know how to tell you this, but she said, there was a big explosion where Michael works. She only lives over the hill from Rolock. And the only thing I could think of was there's a big explosion and it can cover a wide area. So we jumped in the car immediately. I still had my laundry in my hands and we drove out to Rolock. We were there before the fire trucks. It was hard to tell where the plane went down because there was no smoke, no fire. It was Everything was, you know, gone. And we pulled in to where Rolock is, and at the Y there stood my son, direct in traffic. I was so happy to see him. After a big hug, we uh, talked to him for a minute, and he had said it, it went down just a few yards down from where he was, and he said there wasn't anything left of it. So we went back to my sister's, and... I made a phone call to my other son to make sure that he knew that his brother was okay. While we were there, the fire trucks were coming. I mean, there were a lot of fire trucks. And they wanted to turn in the road below, and my husband ran down there quick and told him to go straight and turn at Rolock. And he was down there for a little while. And we went back home after he helped a lot of the fire trucks, and... We turned on Channel 2 on the TV, and they said that that was the plane that was missing and that it had terrorists on it. I mean, that's, that's hard to believe that something like that could happen. And they said that they had put up a battle to try to take over the plane, that somebody could fly it and land it that was a passenger. And anybody that tries to fight and know that they, they lose their life, they are heroes, and that's what they did. After that episode, I just watched those planes, and it was a long time before they left any planes fly again, and the sky didn't have any planes in it. From that day on, any time I was outside, hanging laundry on a line or, or just sitting out on the porch, I'd just look up and watch them planes, just watch and make sure they didn't come down. I was afraid there was going to be another. It took me a long time not to watch the planes all the time. But I can still remember it like it was yesterday. And I went to Shanksville to the church, and they had a memorial there. Everybody in town, I think, was there. It was, it was a huge crowd. It was sad to see their families and what they went through. But, you know, they can be proud of them. And we all can, and we are. I was thinking to myself later on that as I was standing there in my yard looking up at that plane, if any of those poor people saw me standing down there, there was nothing I could do. And that was hard. But they fought. They were fighting when they were above me, and that's what counts. They're true heroes. And indeed they were, and great work by Madison on this piece. And a special thanks to the Flight 93 National Memorial in Shanksville. If you're ever in the Pittsburgh area, stop by. Honor the memory of those that did what they did on that flight. Remarkably heroic acts by the passengers on that plane. Linda Shapley's 9-11 story here on Our American Stories.
Folks, if you love the stories we tell about this great country, and especially the stories of America's rich past, know that all of our stories about American history, from war to innovation, culture, and faith, are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College, a place where students study all the things that are beautiful in life and all the things that are good in life. And if you can't get to Hillsdale, Hillsdale will come to you with their free and terrific online courses. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. And we return to our American stories and our observance of September 11th, 2001. Many of us know the story of Flight 93 because of the heroic actions of the men and women in that plane. But do we know the story of some of the people on the ground who witnessed the events unfold and responded to the crash site? Here's our own Monty Montgomery with the story. On September 11th, 2001, Dennis Fritz was working as an ATC controller at Johnstown County Airport in Pennsylvania. I normally don't work in a tower, and it just so happened that on 9-11 I was working in the tower in ground control when everything had taken place. We were kind of busy that day, um, so we had no idea what was happening. And about 9.30 I got a call from um, Cleveland Center. They called and asked us if we had any traffic in the, in the area, and if we had anyone in a pattern, and we said yes we did, and they said well they won't. They directed us to get it out, recall traffic that we were talking to, get them all down, tell them they have to uh, recover and land, and as soon as the last one gets down, give me a call because they were going to be diverting more aircraft in there. We're going to be closing the airspace. And it didn't make sense to me. Um, so we, crawl, we called all the, uh, the aircraft uh, that we were dealing with, which is about, I don't know how many we had at the time, we brought him back in the land, and we called Cleveland back, and they said, okay, we've got all aircraft down. He says, okay, we're going to start diverting about 15 aircraft into your, air, into your airport. I said, what's going on? He said, I said, why are you closing our airspace? He says, no, you understand. We're not closing just this airspace. We're closing the airspace across the country. So I figured something big was happening. A couple minutes later, and this is about 10 o'clock, I'd say, 10 o'clock, a couple minutes after 10. I don't remember the time exactly, but it's pretty close to 10 o'clock. They called and asked if... Um, we had a large aircraft. Can you see anything out there at all? And we were looking, and you could, an aircraft was a 757 on a day. I said, how far are you? He's 12 miles. He, 15, he says, 15 miles. Looks like he's heading directly towards you. I said, no, I can't see anything at all. So we picked up a binoculars, did some, we were looking more. We couldn't see anything. And he called back, said, we suggest you evacuate the tower. That aircraft's now 12 miles south of Johnstown, heading there at a high rate of speed. And uh, one of the guys says, well, I'm going to be getting out of here. He says, we're not going anywhere. We, we can't see an aircraft. You know, we can't see anything. There's nothing out there. We're not in any danger. And it was um, probably a minute after he called me, he said, uh, the aircraft just turned back south, and I lost radar contact with him. He says, if you see anything, give me a call back. Well, as soon as I got off the phone with him, the line started ringing. We had a, a report of uh, an aircraft that crashed south of the field about 15 miles. Uh, and it got to a point where it was so bad we, we weren't taking any more calls. And we notified, I talked to 911, and they were going to go ahead and dispatch crash and fire rescue uh, people. Here's Christian Boyd, a paramedic and volunteer firefighter working that day at the Somerset Ambulance substation. He was one of the first people to report to the crash site of Flight 93. It started like any other day. Shift started at 8. Usually I worked with a gentleman named Doug Whitfield from Myersdale, and he had traded shifts that day with a paramedic named Kevin Husick, whom I've known all my life. So Kevin showed up, and I thought, oh, that's neat. That's a surprise, because I don't normally get to work with him. And uh, you kind of work with the same people over and over, it seems like, at that station. You, you can kind of predict who, who you're going to work with. And he showed up, so I thought, oh, this is neat. Um, well, you know, We'll find something interesting to do today. He likes to clean the ambulance and, and, and shine it and wax it up. and So keep yourself busy because that station is, is normally a slower station. You might run and have two runs a day, sometimes none. It's quiet. I remember I took my work uniform shirt off and Kevin took his off because he was going to start on the ambulance on the outside. He was going to wash it or something. And... Uh, I was going to replace the bulbs in the front grill. And we were both volunteer firemen, so we had pagers. 
And I started hearing all these local fire departments, their tones going out over there on the pager. And Kevin said, where are we going now? I said, ah, I said, I'm guessing probably a brush fire, maybe a barn fire. Cause it was a big alarm assignment. You could tell, you could tell each department that was like, that's Stoy's town. That's Boswell. That's Shanksville. That's Freedens. You could tell then the fire whistle in Stoy's town blew, which is right down over the hill from the ambulance station. So I hurried up and got my uniform shirt on and we buttoned up the station, locked the doors and they, the dispatcher came across the air and said what it was, plane down, reported commercial aircraft in the area of Shanksville off of Skyline Drive. And I, all I had to do, I looked down towards Shanksville, down Route 30 East, and I could see a big column of smoke. And Kevin came out and he said, he said did they say plane down? And I said, yeah. I said, look. And he said, oh, man. So I, I signed the word is get in the ambulance. I took Skyline Drive, just as they said, went, went up to the top of the hill and looked down over the hill, and, and you could see the fire in the trees and debris scattered everywhere. And I said, well, we got to get closer. So we, we went down around this side road, and that was it. I pulled as close as I could, just looking at the picture. I, I pulled as close as I could without going into the crater or putting anyone in danger. And I had no idea what it was really or looked like brush fire in the, in the trees, a stand of pine trees and a big, big hole in the ground. I mean, it looked like about the size of a nice in-ground swimming pool, maybe two or three of those at, at one point. I thought, this doesn't look good and I'm gonna be here a while. And we looked around and we determined that there were no survivors. And I still did not believe that it was a passenger or a commercial airline. The only thing that that made me realize or believe that it was a commercial passenger uh, airliner was a tire. The size of the tire and the, the width of it, I knew that it had to come from a bigger aircraft just from being on planes before. But other than that, the largest piece of plane that I, that I noticed was about the size of a refrigerator and... It was part of the fuel silage, and the only way that I knew, again, that it was a passenger airline was because of the window. It still had a window intact, the small windows that they have. We were awestruck. We thought, you know what, this is something bad that happened on TV. We just saw a few minutes ago, and it just happened here, we think. And Jill, our boss, came out, and we talked to Jill. We talked to the police, talked to the firemen. We said, what do you want to do? Our job was to look for any type of information that might lead to what this plane is. Christian was sent into the wreckage with his fellow first responder, Michael. I did find wallets. I found driver's license. Some Someone was from, <clears throat> I want to say San Diego or San Francisco, California. They had a Latin name or a Spanish name. I can't remember it. But I remember looking at that man and I thought, San Diego, you know. Just pictures of kids, pictures of family, money scattered everywhere on fire. One of the things that still stands out in my mind that I can remember was a Bible on the ground that was burning. That it was started burning I think from the right lower right hand corner looked like where it was burning it was burning kind of diagonally I thought that was weird I mean because you're not supposed to really you know burn Bibles or whatever and I, that just caught my attention and Mike who's a pretty strong Catholic I, I called him I said oh, look at you know look at this thing it just kind of gave us an eerie feeling I didn't I didn't really like to see that I think he just patted the edge of it and kind of put it out. That was it. And you were listening to Dennis Fritz, an ATC controller at a nearby airport, and Christian Boyd, the local EMT in the Shanksville area. Both of their responses to Flight 93. And a special thanks to the Flight 93 National Memorial for providing us this audio. It's a beautiful museum, and if you're in the Pittsburgh area, please go and check it out. Heck, make a road trip to Stoystown and see it for yourself. 
More of our 9-11 special here on Our American Stories. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife... It's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. 
Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Our American Stories and our 9-11 Memorial with another story about Flight 93. Up next, you're going to hear from Vaughn Lowick, whose sister Lauren was on the flight that crashed in Pennsylvania. Lauren was just somebody who you wanted to be with. After losing her, speaking to other family members and some of her friends, I, I kept hearing the same thing over and over, that Lauren just made everybody feel good. She just was a positive energy, and she really, truly lived life to its fullest. And I know that sounds so cliche to say, but Lauren began to just really get out and live her life. She wanted to take piano lessons at the age of 30-something, and uh, she wanted to get her scuba diving license. So she went on and, and got that. This was her philosophy for life. But the, the interesting thing about Lauren is that it didn't stop there because it would drive her crazy if, if she ever heard somebody say, oh, I can't, or, oh, I'm upset because of this. Following the crash, there were people who, who were asked to go and clean up and pick up as many personal belongings as they could find. And this one man found Lauren's picture ID, a driver's license. This was before he even knew anything about Lauren. He was just out there picking up random personal belongings. And he said he, that he picked up the picture ID and he just stopped dead in his tracks and just for a moment was caught and just kind of mesmerized and just really drawn into this picture and for a moment stood there and then almost as if he had been struck with words that said, okay, you, you've stared long enough, now get on, you've got work to do. He immediately snapped to and got busy. And then it was not until months later when he began to hear stories of the passengers of Flight 93, and he remembered that moment where he was looking at her picture, and then later learned that that was very much her personality, which was to say, okay, you felt it, now go and do something good by the morning of September 11th, and I'm sure everybody has said this in all of the interviews, what a beautiful day it was. And my husband had left for work. He was working in Midtown at the time I was in New Jersey. And he even called me from his walk to his office, and he said, it's prettiest day since we've been here. And Lauren had been staying with me. Lauren had been in town, and she was leaving that morning. So uh, she was how organized she always was. She had her suitcase by the front door ready to go. So we stood in the driveway and we said our goodbyes and the car got there to pick her up and I hugged her and I said, oh, it's always hard to see you go. And she said, well, I'll be back in October. And I said, why? And she said, why not? That was just her way. She always wanted to make you feel okay. So I hugged her and said goodbye and watched the car drive off. And I got a phone call a little bit later and it was Lauren, and she said, I got here in such good time. I'm already here. In fact, I got an earlier flight. So she was excited at the idea of getting home earlier. So we chatted for a little bit longer, and then she said, oh, they're boarding now. I, I got to go. I'll call you when I get there. And we talked all the time, so I knew she was going to call me right when she got there. And I went inside, and Lauren and I that weekend had done some shopping, and we went to go return some of it, me and the kids. And when I went into the store, a couple of the employees were just gasping and just saying, like, this is not an accident, this is not an accident. They were just saying words like that, and, and can you believe it, this is not an accident. And that was right around that time the first plane hit. And I was very shaken up because I was new to this town. I, I hadn't even unpacked my boxes yet at the house. And I knew my husband, Phil, was somewhere in Manhattan. I didn't have my boundaries yet, really. So I quickly got the children back into the car and started to go home, and I was literally shaking. I had it on the radio, not, not at that time even thinking about Lauren's flight, thinking more about Phil being in the city. And just then on the radio, the announcer was, began to say, oh my, what is that? What, what is that? Oh my, oh my, the building is collapsing. The building is, oh my God. And he couldn't even grasp his thoughts. He was just on air, literally losing it on air. Well, that didn't help calm my nerves a bit, as you can imagine. I quickly get home. And my son got stung by a bee, and I had to run across the street. And a neighbor of mine tells me about, the, you know, what's going on in the city. And uh, I said, what about Lauren's flight? She said, when did she take off? Well, because I had talked to Lauren much earlier that morning, I gave her the time. She said, no, 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 they're, they're way beyond. They'll land somewhere. So I come home, and I put the children in front of a cartoon. 
And uh, the plumber upstairs says, oh, another plane went down. Another plane went down in Pennsylvania. And it was an American plane, he said. And I knew Warren was on United. Well, fast forward a little bit to uh, my neighbor knocking at the door. I opened the door and she said, are you all right? And I said, what? She said, are you all right? United Airlines flight went down from Newark to San Francisco, went down to Pennsylvania. And I knew. Lauren and I talked so much on the phone, multiple times a day. I knew that because I hadn't talked to her and heard from her yet, that she was gone. And from that point on, it just became very dark. And it was unbelievably quiet. And um, wow, too much really to even understand. I truly still can't put my brain around it. It's very hard to really, truly comprehend that day. After we got through the next few months, I realized that I was coming to, really coming out of it. One day driving, I realized that I was tapping my thumb to the steering wheel to the beat of the music. And that was an unbelievable moment for me because I realized that I was, I was tapping to the beat of the music. And I was really actually, I don't know how to put it, enjoying something. You would almost in the beginning, if your children did something and maybe you would laugh and then stop yourself. I don't know why. You just, you know, oh, I shouldn't be laughing. I don't know. You, you didn't want to feel. You were mourning. I was mourning. <laughs> but I knew I needed to move forward, and, you know, not only in honor of Lauren, but all those who lost their lives that day. I could just hear Lauren saying, you know, they may have gotten me. Don't let them get you. Don't let them knock you down. And that's exactly what we've done. Lauren's family has moved forward in a very, in a very positive direction. We are not going to be victims of 9-11. We are going to move forward and make attempts at turning all that evil into something good in some way. That's what I'm trying to do. I often wonder what Lauren would think of all this, of all this, because they knew what was happening on the plane, but they would have no idea how this would affect the country. I think she would be very, very proud of what we have done with this tragedy, how we have come out of it, to become bigger and better and stronger. I think she would want to hear people go to this memorial and take it all in, learn and experience all those emotions and then walk away from it and then know that you have all this now and do something good with it. It is so important to remember September 11th, not necessarily to hang on to the anger that, that may have stemmed from that day, but as a reminder of how to move forward. Often you can slip into that dark place where you, you just, filled with that anger and the questions and the confusion. But if you can remember September 11th, you know, the patriotism that followed, the religious differences went aside, political differences, all that didn't seem to really matter. And I think that people really wanted to be better for our country. So I think September 11th, especially of Flight 93, the heroism that took place on that plane, what these people did for the country, it is a good reminder of how to live your life for not only yourself or your family or your community, but for the country. And thanks to Vaughn Loic for sharing the story of her sister and in the end, herself and America and how to process what happened and how to honor it and move forward. Uh, great work by Madison on the piece. And to see the memorial for yourself, please visit Flight 93 National Memorial in Somerset County in Pennsylvania if you're in the Pittsburgh area. And a special thanks to them for providing the audio. And what a, what a sister and what an inspiration. That voice in Vaughn's head from Lauren, they may have gotten me, but don't let them knock you down. Turn all that evil into something good. The story of Lauren told by Sister Vaughn here on Our American Stories. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with Our American Stories and our 9-11 special. And we love doing these shows. We love our Memorial Day special and our Veterans Day special, George Washington, so on and so forth. Critical part of our show. Our next story comes to us from Tony Dolan, who is one of the youngest Pulitzer Prize winners in American history for his investigation of political corruption and organized crime in Hartford, Connecticut. He's a legend there to this day, 
There were even death threats against him because he put a whole lot of bad guys in prison. He was also the chief speechwriter for President Ronald Reagan all eight years of his presidency and responsible for some of the greatest rhetoric of the 20th century, most notably Reagan's evil empire and ash heap of history speeches. Tony's tribute to fallen American soldiers originally appeared in the Wall Street Journal and was titled, A Decade of Trial, The Wounded Warriors of the 9-11 Generation. Tony agreed to share his version of it here for this show and this special. I heard the thump as I was saying over the phone to John Gibson at the National Security Council that it couldn't be an accident, since now a second plane had hit the World Trade Center. Putting down the phone, I walked over to the window and looked out on Route 110, which runs in front of the Pentagon. Construction workers, their faces reflecting fear, even terror, were running across this major highway like it was a country road. They had seen the smoke pouring out from around the corner where Flight 77 had hit the building. John, I'll have to call you back, I said when I got back to the phone. I think we just got hit. Move it to the right, said the soldier, when another soldier bent over to adjust the pedal of his wheelchair. When he saw who was helping him, a three-star general, he gulped, uh, a sorry, sir, for not saying sir. I'm the one who should be calling you, sir, replied the general, as he wheeled the young veteran to the assembly point for the other wounded. The soldiers were there for the first of many tours of the Pentagon organized for the wounded and their families. For many, this was their first time outside the rooms and hallways of Walter Reed Hospital since their injuries, so they had trouble handling what came next. As they came around a corner, the hallway erupted with thousands of cheering, flag-waving Department of Defense employees, many of those in the parade of crutches and wheelchairs, including family members, were overcome as they moved along. Later, one wife, sounding almost angry through her uncontrolled tears, told the Pentagon organizer, you should have warned us, you should have warned us. Sir, could I ask you a question? I knew what was coming. As the wounded toured the press briefing room, it was always the same question for the older guy in the suit, whom they thought might have some authority. No matter how many limbs were missing or how serious the head wound, they asked me, Sir, is there any way you could help me get back to my unit? Guests of honor at a Washington think tank dinner, the two enlisted men in wheelchairs and the sergeant with a cane looked uneasy as they waited entirely unnoticed at the edge of the huge crowded ballroom. The event planners were with clipboards and bugs in their ear just rushed by. When I saw them from a distance, I maneuvered through the crowd and went up to them. They looked up at me as I summoned words that have inspired our fighting forces down the years. Gentlemen, would you like to follow me to the bar? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir, was the enthusiastic response. The crowd parted magically on our way to two beers and a gin. Later, the same crowd oohed and odd when they heard of the soldiers' battlefield exploits. After the dinner, when the van arrived for the trip back to Walter Reed, I would see how good they were at helping fold up their wheelchairs, put them in the back, and then hop along towards their seats with a hand against the side of the van, all the while thanking me for the drinks. Hard to hear and hard to watch. The hero is grateful hopper, like the wife at the Pentagon parade. My reaction was emotional and I thought somebody should have warned me. Yes, as his name tag showed, the newly appointed aide to Joint Chiefs Chairman Peter Pace was the son of another well-known general. In answer to my questions, he added that it was also a West Point graduate, and he listed the several stateside locations where he had been stationed. 
With General Pace and Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld just ahead of us as we headed towards the press briefing room, I thought that this young officer was going to have trouble gaining the respect of fellow officers who had seen combat. We turned the corner, though, and then he said, I was in Iraq too, sir, and as I saw his empty uniform sleeve, he added, but I got hurt there. People fled the funeral service for Navy SEAL Jonas P. Kelso as the building shook. Reassurance during an earthquake, though, is a church full of Navy SEALs. The squadron commander kept right on giving his eulogy, and Kelso's comrades didn't budge. Victoria Jennings Kelso, herself a former Marine with a tour in Iraq, added to the intrepidity by speaking nearly unfalteringly of her hero husband and his belief in America's mission. Outside, retired Colonel Oliver North, a Vietnam veteran, said to former Marine Commandant P.X. Kelly, a Vietnam veteran, both of them friends of Victoria's father, Jerry Jennings, an administration official and a Vietnam veteran, Aren't these kids amazing? General Kelly readily agreed. It's the reason why he explained when he was recovering from an operation at Bethesda Naval Hospital, he felt compelled to get himself moved off the deck with the admirals and onto the casualties floor. The casualties. I think of them sometimes, those I knew, the wounded, the ones who only wanted to get back to their unit or left limbs on foreign soil. The ones whom generals wanted to call sir or commandants wanted the honor of being on their hospital floor. I think too sometimes of the families of the fallen, the ones whose composure made words not inadequate but impossible. And so I sometimes wonder where they are and how life played out for them. If I were to see them again, I know that even if they asked, I would be reluctant to offer any thoughts on their sacrifice and its meaning, or that of those they loved. But if they asked again, if they pressed the question, I know I would answer and I know what I would tell them. That I have lived a while and seen the verdicts of history and know they are not always quickly rendered. But that about them, the jury's finding is already in that what they did was right and true, making others safe, protecting the weak, the innocent, giving others what they would never have had, the gift of the future, the gift of tomorrow. And I would say in doing all this, they had made themselves a part, in fact, the best part, of history's great story, the American story. And so I would tell them they will be remembered. And thank you to Tony Dolan for sharing that beautifully written and heartfelt piece about something that moves so many of us. And aren't these kids amazing? I mean, imagine having someone like General P.X. Kelly not just say that, but mean it. If you know anything about the Marine Corps, you know a lot about P.X. Kelly, a servant to the end. Sir, is there any way you can help me get back to my unit? That's what's on these guys' minds, going back. Even after Walter Reed, even after losing a limb, how do I get back to my unit? I spent many, many weekends when I was living in D.C. I had the privilege to be able to go to Walter Reed many times, interact with these guys, bring a mistake, and it was just humbling. It was just humbling. And that's what we do here on this show is we just, well, we want to make sure that they will be remembered. And 9-11 just didn't happen on 9-11. There was a response to 9-11. And we sent our soldiers, our precious loved ones, to Afghanistan and Iraq. And we're not here to do policy. We know we don't do that on this show. But these guys volunteered. And they wanted to go. And they did. And many of them paid the price. A decade of trial, the wounded warriors of the 9-11 generation. Tony Dolan, his story, and so many soldiers' stories, and a big part of the American story here on Our American Stories. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.